Morning, everyone. Great. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 to 20. And uh, our title for today's message is uh, Faithful to the Faithless. Faithful to the Faithless. Uh, to start things off with a question, uh, I ask you, uh, what disappoints you the most? What to you precedes uh, intense anger or disappointment at another person? For most of us, I think uh, that that is failure. And it's also the thing that many of us uh, fear the most, whether it's a family member, a spouse, a partner, or friend, or even someone that you don't know, but in a way represents you. Failure greatly disappoints and angers us. How do we treat those who fail us, those who fail to represent us well? Are you someone who immediately disassociates with that person? Are you someone who expresses your anger and frustration with that person when they fail you? Are you someone like me who, who sinfully gives up on that person. We can treat others this way, but would never want to be treated that way in return. And the other thing <clears throat> is that uh, uh, in, in, in how we fail, how should we then expect God uh, uh, to treat us when failure happens? It's tricky for us to want things like justice, discipline, and mercy when we see and experience failure. As we continue our series in Genesis now, zooming into the life of Abraham, God's made a promise to, uh, uh, to humanity, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. God is still allowing for humanity to, to thrive and live on his earth and now God caused Abraham to go to the promised land and to be a blessing to the nations to continue this plan and purpose of God. But sinful humans who walk with God make obeying God's simple commands complicated. Our, our, our sin gets in the way and almost jeopardizes God's good purposes. You see, we all fail Abraham fails in this passage, and the question that we find answered in this passage is, can our sin nullify the promises and plan of God? Can we just mess things up and, and, and ruin God's plans and promises? The answer should be no. Our big idea for today is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's not a liar. He's consistent to what he has promised. And so in light of that, our, our big idea, the one thing I want you to understand by the end of this message is, is this for you, that despite our faithlessness, God remains faithful. 
that despite our faithlessness, God remains faithful. That when it comes to the promises of God, uh, we, don't, we don't even have the power to stop them. And that should encourage you and I today. We're going to see how God remains faithful to his promises despite the actions of Abraham. So let's pray and then we're going get to in, get into our text. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that uh, you have written uh, the Old Testament for our instruction here today, that we can, uh, like the people of Israel, uh, uh, glean in, learn, and, and understand uh, who you are, uh, who we are, and what we are prone to do, and how to trust and, 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 and obey you in any situation that we're at. So I pray that you be with me as I share uh, what you have revealed to me in your word and that it be an encouragement and blessing to all who are in this room and to those online. So I pray this on your name, amen. All right, so if you're taking notes today, uh, our first point is, is this, uh, that God is faithful even when we move forward in faith. That God is faithful even when we move forward in faith, or as we move forward in faith, God is faithful. Look at me in verse 4 of chapter 12. It says, now the Lord's, the Lord, sorry, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So up on the screen for you is a map uh, that I was able to find that simply uh, uh, kind of tracks uh, Abraham's journey uh, to the promised land. It kind of uh, tracks uh, Genesis 12 uh, to chapter 13, verse 4. This map starts by, by tracking uh, where Abraham's family leaves Ur and heads towards Haran, as Patrick had preached uh, uh, last, last week. But they settle in Haran. Abraham's father, uh, they, they, they stay there. It's like they, they gave up. But as Pastor Ted preached last week, God calls Abraham. In Genesis 12, 1, 2, 3, he is called and sent by God to leave and kind of fulfill the, that original trip, but under God's instruction, to leave safety and security and to go to the promised land and to, to be a blessing again to the nations. In verse 4, that word went, so Abraham went is the past term, past, past tense of that word go there in verse 1. It means that Abraham is exactly word for word obeying the Lord here. But it says that he brought Lot with him. Is Abraham disobeying God's command by adding Lot to join him? The answer is no. Abraham leaves safety and security, but he's also being safety and security to Lot, who has lost his father in the land of Ur. Abraham is caring for his youngest brother's son. He has taken ownership and caring for his family, and that's a good thing that he does here. In verses 5 to 6, this is what happens next. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So one thing to keep in mind is that Abraham is a former pagan. It says they, they left with the people they have acquired in 
Haran. That can mean so many different things. Some of us have to live with the consequences of our past actions in our walk with God. Uh, But nevertheless, with the command of the Lord, uh, he goes and they arrive at the promised land, Canaan. You see, God's word and what Moses is teaching us here is that God's word is enough for us to obey him. But to obey God's word is going to require faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 to 10 uh, says this for you on the the screen. By faith, he, which is Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I've heard that faith is like taking that, you know, that first step without seeing the full staircase. Real obedience requires you to believe what God has said and promised. If you believe it, you will then do it. I love Christian hip-hop and, 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 and how uh, this rapper named Timothy Brindle uh, summarizes faith. He says, faith is just an empty hand that receives grace from the precious lamb. Everything that God promises is yours for the taking, but you won't get it and enjoy it without faith and continued faith. Think about God's promises that he gives uh, to you through Christ. You only get them and enjoy them by faith. This is true for Abraham. This is true for Moses and the people of Israel as they're on their way to the same promised land that they both have not yet seen what it looks like. They'll get there and arrive there and walk towards that place by faith. And then look what happens again when Abraham gets there in verses 6 to 7. It says, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham arrives at this uh, oak of Morah. He, he doesn't go to like a forest. He finds a, a, a tree. And that word for oak just means great tree, like a tall tree. It's most likely on a hill. And this was actually a practice of what pagans would would do. They would find a high place and often uh, under a tree, they would go there to bring together the idea of reaching God and bringing their desire to communicate their need for fertility. When Israel returns to its idol worship, where do they go? They go to the high places to do this very same thing. However, something amazing and different happens here. Instead of Abraham or Abraham sacrificing and saying things, uh, uh, God appears to him. And we call this a, a theophany. It just means an event or a person who has seen and interacted with, with God. This is most likely Jesus uh, before he comes to us as a man born of a virgin. Abraham's going to see this person three times in the book of Genesis, and this is the first. We can ask ourselves, why is God showing up here? What, what, why is that significant? Well, I think God rewards obedience and faith. 
Uh, the, the ultimate reward for obeying Jesus and having faith with him is Jesus himself. If you are obeying Jesus in order to get something other than himself, uh, you're in it for the wrong reasons. The best thing that God can give you is himself. The new heavens and the new earth is just simply a place where we can be with Jesus for an eternity. Abraham gets a taste of that right now. Uh, God showing up also of redeems who all worship should be directed to, to the one who has real authority over the earth, the God of the Bible, the Lord, Yahweh. It's the same name that God reveals to Moses at the burning bush. Moses is teaching that the same God who freed Israel from captivity is the same God who sent Abraham to the land that they are both headed to. The text says that the Canaanites are still in the land, but that doesn't matter uh, because God, Yahweh, said that the land is for Abram and his offspring. God tells Moses the same thing in Exodus chapter 19, that all the earth is his. It is his to freely give it to those whom he wills. Aram also, by making this altar, shows that he believes this, and it's a sign of humility and thankfulness. He's like journaling as he worships. He's keeping a record of God's faithfulness by bringing this, by building this, this, this altar. However, uh, uh, Abram begins to do something a little odd in verses 8 to 9. It says, from there, he moved to the hill country, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the east and with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So to kind of get that map back on, on, on the screen there, Abraham worships the Lord in, in Shechem and meets him, and God appears to him and continues to go between Bethel and Ai. At first glance, it seems like he's just taking a tour around the house. You know, God showed up in the living room, and now he's checking the basement, checking the bedrooms and bathrooms. Uh, you couldn't scope out the whole house before you were able to purchase it, and now he has the ability to. But it says here that he calls upon the name of the Lord and continues to go to the Negev. This map gives it away, but the Negev, Negev is, is, is a desert. It means to be dry, a parched place. Why would you go to a desert to live? The, the, the Negev desert is even the same place Israel receives, uh, later receives punishment for their sin and where they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. In Genesis chapter 4, when uh, Pastor Ted preached on Cain and Abel, Cain's descendants be, began to, in a sense, win. They became nomads, taking advantage over the, the livestock, created instruments for music and bronze and iron for tools. What did the descendants of Seth do? It says they called upon the name of the Lord. The quote-unquote bad guys are, are killing it. They're making change in the world, advancing technology, and the quote-unquote good guys can only host prayer meetings. In the book of Exodus, when, when Pharaoh ups the ante and starts killing male infants, Israel cries out to God or calls upon the name of the Lord out of their helplessness. 
The land of Canaan is one that heavily relies on rainfall. One of the reasons why Abraham's father may have stayed in Haran was because the river Euphrates is there. And the next and closest major source of drinkable water is the Nile in Egypt. With the, with the Canaanites in, 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 in the land before Abraham, they are probably monopolizing the other more suitable places to live in. Abraham is most likely calling out to God for help. Abraham is in the promised land, but right now it may not be as good as he was hoping for. He didn't have any photos of the place before he went into the promised land. Have you ever been finessed by an Airbnb listing? I one time rented an Airbnb for a week in a Clear Creek, Ontario, uh, to enjoy nature there and to work on music. I should have known better because it was 400 and something bucks for the whole week to be there. The photos on the app uh, made me think that I had the whole house to myself. I too took a step of faith or ignorance uh, without seeing the full staircase. And within his contract, he states that within uh, that while you are staying there at his house, he is going to stay there with you. <laughs> that you sleep on his bed, and he just simply moves over to the couch. I slept every night at that house with the door locked and with a knife by my bedside, expecting the worst. <laughs> And it's only in God's good grace, though in getting to know David, that was the owner's name, that he was a Christian, had a full-time job and worked 12 hours a day, which made being at the home tolerable and, and a little easier to, 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 uh, to actually be there. Uh, this land that Abraham is at is not yet told to him that it's a land flowing with milk and honey, as he told the people of Israel. It, it is his land but there's some tenants that need to go. The previous owner needs to get out of there. And with his family's safety on his back, Abraham is probably growing more and more fearful. And when you and I are fearful, we do silly things. And that leads us to our second point, that, that God is faithful even when we move away in fear that God is faithful even when we move away in fear. You can look with me now in verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. That word now in verse 10 could imply a transition to a later time or simply give context to the current time. I think it's, it's the latter, but if it is the former for, for you, then this famine, and now severe famine, is simply the straw that breaks the camel's back, that Abram has, has had enough and is disappointed and ready to leave the promised land. A severe famine means that lives are at stake. But notice what it says in verse 5 and verse 10, what the contrast is. At the end of verse 5, it says, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And then in verse 10, second half of, of verse 10, it says, so Abram went down 
to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was very severe in the land. This language is, is not used to communicate a physical descent into the region, but more so a spiritual descent of morality and ethics. Abraham doesn't talk to God here. He has a, a, a better ask for forgiveness than permission mentality. And that word sojourn means to linger, to abide, to live for a while. This isn't a grocery trip. But Abraham is like getting work visas for him, for him and his company. In verses 11 to 13, this is what he does next. He says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Abraham should have stopped uh, right then and there. <laughs> but instead, he keeps talking. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So again, Abraham is former pagan. He is aware of how pagans think and act. He knows that entering a foreign country uh, um, uh, means that you have no rights there since you're not a citizen. That being married, in a sense, doesn't really protect you from other people who are interested, but in fact makes you a target. And he has left his, his country, so he doesn't have his full family uh, to, to roll up and protect him either. But knowing what will happen is not the same of knowing what to do. Wisdom, which comes from God, is about knowing the right thing to do and then doing it. Aram actually manipulates his wife here. His tactic is to first flatter the target, tell her she's beautiful, and then plead with his request. That word say there is used in, in, a, in, a, in a way to plead with her. He is actually saying, please say you are my sister. And after, after that, to, to justify himself or to state what he then really wants, desires, and why is that he says he wants his life to be spared. That if she does this because of you, he will be safe for her sake. He prioritizes his life over her purity, that it may go well with him. And he actually believes that Sarai is the tool to accomplish God's promises, that he is more important than her. Bad leaders will sacrifice last. They view everyone else as expendable first. They're the king and everyone else is a pawn on their chessboard. Abraham doesn't even learn his lesson and instead of manipulation, flat out shares what he demands the next time he does this. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 13, when, when Abraham is again caught for this lie here, he says this to Abimelech. And when God caused me, again, now he's blaming God, to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. 
Abraham equates Sarah Lion or Sarai Lion or Sarah at the time um, as kindness. Abraham here is a lot like Adam in, in the garden, but maybe even a little bit much worse. Adam in the garden stood by and did nothing when the serpents entered his domain and space and engaged with his wife. And here, Abraham, by himself and by his actions, gives his wife an order to be taken to Pharaoh, the seed of the serpent, to be in his domain and space, his palace or his house. Though it is half true that they are both brother and sister, they are half brother and sister, they have the same dad, the, the removal of truths distorts how they should be viewed and treated. A white lie is still a lie, regardless how you spin it. When we think that we are being wise and deciding for ourselves what people need to hear in such a way that benefits and protects us, but what we're really doing is being demonic. It, it, it lacks faith and is full of fear, and it has its consequences. In verse 14, it says, When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Abraham may have thought to have some kind of escape plan uh, if someone was really interested in his sister, but it has spiraled out of control so that now the king, Pharaoh, has taken interest and has literally taken her into his palace and, and court. In hip-hop culture, it's often a sport to uh, win the prettiest girl, even if she is with someone else. I'm not sure if you heard the, the, the phrase before, um, even if there is a goalie, it doesn't mean I cannot uh, score. And as an individual, you had, to, you had to have a constant fear of what you would do if a stronger and better looking person came for your partner. And in middle and high school, if your, if your girl was pretty, you had to reconcile ahead of time if you were going to fight to protect her or give in to fear and love yourself more than her and let her get taken. Abraham could have said at any point in time that he lied. There were stages, the first the Egyptians, the, the neighbors and the princes and Pharaoh himself. He could have said, sorry, my bad, this is my wife, I lied. If you want her, you'd have to go through me. But he didn't do that. Abraham doesn't actually realize he's jeopardizing everything here. He doesn't realize that although God spoke to Abraham and, and promised him that he would be made into a great nation and that his offspring will dwell in the land, that the offspring will come through Sarai. Sarai is not a tool to be replaced. She is necessary for the covenant and promises of God. Paul later calls uh, this child Isaac the, 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 the child of promise, the child of the free woman. If Sarai were to sleep with another man, or if Abraham were to sleep with another woman, it delegitimizes that the promises that God is going to fulfill in his life, and even in our time, can be accomplished without him. 
When you and I choose worldly wisdom instead of God's wisdom, there is only so far it is able to see and account for. Abraham in making one wrong decision leads to a spiral of other bad choices. He actually fails uh, to, and breaks both commands that God gives him. Up on the screen is, is a slide of the two things that God commands uh, for Abraham and the six promises that God is going to do for, for, for him. Abraham is to go and to be a blessing to the nations. But on the next slide, this is what he does. Instead of going uh, and then remaining in Canaan, he leaves Canaan. And instead of being a blessing to the nation, he lies to Egypt and lies to Pharaoh. Whilst God remains faithful, the whole country has believed his lie. And Abraham has even received gifts that are a bride price for Sarai. The actions here have some serious consequences. Abraham accepts slaves. That word servants implies slaves who have been financially traded, whether to settle a debt or, or, uh, or, or they can't make a living for themselves. One of these slaves is Hagar, who Abram actually sleeps with in Genesis chapter 16 in an attempt to fulfill God's promises. I think the best thing we can do when we uh, give into fear or, 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 or come to moments of fear, simply trust God and ask him for wisdom and help. God is more than able to provide for us what we need when we are afraid. The people of Israel found themselves in a similar situation in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 15, up on the screen for you, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, the, the, the Negev, the desert later gets named. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Despite their grumbling and entitlements, God still answered. For Moses, going back to Egypt wasn't an option. The only option was dependence on God in light of what he has promised. God is often patient in our disobedience because he's actually given us opportunities to repent. And it's good that you and I take those opportunities. Again, our big idea is that despite our faithlessness, God remains faithful. God is faithful when we move forward in faith. God is faithful when we even move away in fear. And then lastly, God is faithful when we move back in hope. Look with me in verse 17 of chapter 12. It says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So God here does what Abram would not do, which was to protect his bride. Even though Abram lied about her identity, she is still Abram's wife. And if Pharaoh had slept with her, he and Sarai would have committed adultery. God intervenes at just the right time, not simply because of Abraham, but because of Sarai. 
She came first. God fulfills his promise to curse anyone who dishonors Abraham and also protects Sarai's purity and marriage. It says here that the Lord afflicted Pharaoh with great plagues. Moses, who is writing this down, must be smiling, seeing God intervene the same way that he did for his people Israel. Yahweh, who was faithful to him, was also faithful to Abraham despite his sin. God did uh, to, uh, to Moses, uh, in the time of Moses, uh, that Pharaoh, he did wonders. He did great acts of judgment. He did severe plagues. And that word afflicted is, is, is used in Leviticus 13 to describe leprosy. So God must have made everyone in Pharaoh's court and palace leprous except for Sarai. That was the hint that something was afoot. In verse 18 to 20, you can read with me there. It says, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him that they, that they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. You know, maybe Sarai uh, spilled the beans off screen, uh, uh, but, but Pharaoh understands that what he was going to do was wrong in committing adultery. But he also notices something that we need to, to keep in mind as well, that despite how well-intended our lies are, or any sin in general, it actually brings harm to someone else. Pharaoh is almost prophetic to call it evil, from his vantage point, Abraham's lie could seem like a, a con in order to get supplies. And it's only by God's intervention that Pharaoh doesn't kill him, but still respects him. He gives him men to see him out, to make sure that he leaves with even the gifts Pharaoh, give, Pharaoh gave Abraham for Sarai. Abraham and, and, and company, they, they now get to leave with all that they needed. They now have supplies. No one died, and all is well, right? No. Uh, just because we have escaped uh, some hard situation, it doesn't mean that God is not happy with that. God's able to use everything for our good, but he doesn't condone the evil we do or have done in the process. We call these you know, bad wins or good losses. Abraham's fear of the famine is now satiated, but a whole new slew of problems are to come from this very event. So we're going to get a little sneak peek in chapter 13. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 4. And so Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, and to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. <clears throat> I 
So Abraham, he returns. We can get that map uh, back up on the, on the screen again. So Abraham, after leaving Egypt, goes back to where his tent was between Bethel and Ai in that middle there. They go back to where they started. But this isn't necessarily a walk of shame. There is actually hope to again come back to where he's supposed to be. Oftentimes, our next step of obedience is to return to God's loving arms and hope that he will embrace us and be faithful to forgive us. God's always calling Israel time and time again to return and come back to him in repentance, to turn from their sin. I love the way Jesus puts it in Revelation uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Speaking to the church in Ephesus, uh, Jesus says, Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. God is faithful, and his faithful people, though uh, at times of faithlessness, will return and repent by his grace. In 1 John 1.9, it says God, that God is faithful and just to forgive us for all our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there are consequences that follow. Abraham hasn't even heard the voice of God since the last time he was here. And it's because of this surplus wealth of gain here, from a severe famine to now being very rich in this way, that make Abraham and Lot separate. They have too much in this land. And Lot himself doesn't even consult God when he splits. He, 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 he chooses based on what he sees, and that has consequences for Lot when he goes to Sodom. But again, does our sin nullify the promises of God? And the answer, again, should be no. That's why we can study and, and, and look at this text here today. You see, this story greatly resembles the story of Moses and the Israelites, as well as the story of you and me who also trust in Christ. It's a famine that brings Israel and his sons to Egypt in the first place. But Israel, Jacob, worships God. He builds an altar, and God tells him to go to Egypt uh, with the promise that he would bring his children back out of Israel again. There is slavery that happens in Egypt. Just like Sarai is taken against her will to be in the king's court, the king of Egypt at the time of Moses enslaves the people of Israel for his own gain. There is a rescue and one that is initiated and carried out by God. He sends plagues on Pharaoh to let his people go. Both Abraham and Moses and the Israelites plunder the Egyptians and receive what they need to thrive in the promised land. And there is a land that is promised to both Abraham and Israel. Moses and us, we have this story today to see the faithfulness and consistency of our, our God, which then fuels our obedience and trust in him to do what is right in the context as we find ourselves in. And there is hope when we fail, because we can always turn and come back to God and, and hope who is faithful. We too in our sin 
have, have longed for something else to please us instead of God. In trying to be satiated with, with sin, we enter into a, a relationship of, of slavery in which we are dependent on things that won't fill us. We can't break out of it either. We only grow in our misery and dependence on that said thing. But in the goodness of God, he intervenes by sending his, own, his only son, Jesus, to do what is required to free us from the bondage of sin and the, and the punishment that you and I deserve. He lives the life that you and I should have lived, perfect, full of faith. And he's died the death that you and I should have died. And when we, by faith believe that Jesus is the only one who can pay the penalty of our sin and, and offer us forgiveness uh, and eternal life from our Lord and Savior, we are then saved. And like Abraham and Moses, we too are promised a place in which we can enjoy life with God and his people. God promises us forgiveness for our sin, his spirit to, to conquer and so that we can say no to sin and a hope and future guaranteed for us in a new heavens and new earth. This life won't be easy. And you and I will find ourselves in situations in which it seems like giving in to fear is the best and wisest decision. But that's also slavery that we do not need to walk in. As, as, as Christians, we can walk in love instead. To close, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says this for you, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected by love. Abraham wasn't even able to love Pharaoh because he was full of fear. If, 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 if we trust and believe what Jesus has done for us in the gospel and been saved from the greatest punishment, there is no other punishment that we need to fear. There's nothing to be afraid of with the security that God himself gives us. Christ promises to never leave us or forsake us and will hold us fast according to his promises as he is faithful to do so. So let's pray and, and close and respond in, in song. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you are God who is faithful. And forever, Lord, you will be faithful. And so, Lord, I just uh, thank you for the faithfulness that you have shown in, in my life to forgive, uh, to heal, to restore, to grow, to, to uh, bear with and strive with me. And I pray, God, for your continued faithfulness. Uh, that, that, that you would always be ready and available to care and love me and all those who love you as well. So I pray, God, for anyone in this room or join us online that needs to take a step of obedience to move back again in hope or to continue moving forward in faith. May you grant them the grace to do so. And for those who do not know you, Lord, who are currently walking in fear, who are moving away from you in fear, who are trying to drown out uh, 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 the fear of judgment and punishment for their sin, you, you put eternity in our hearts. You let us know that we are sinners. I pray for those to come to know you, that the gospel may be shared, that they may see it as good news, and that you are willing and able and, and, and uh, desire them to come, come to know you. Uh, so we pray all these things in your name.